welcome back to the Sideline Eye podcast. You're very welcome to our preview show and we're looking ahead to Sunday's Ulster final between Armagh and Derry. I'm delighted to have former Derry footballer Gerardo Keane on here with me and we're going to look forward to Armagh's first Ulster final in 15 years. Gerard, a first Ulster final in 15 years. Derry, they're obviously going for two in a row. Derry know what it's like here with the, the nerves and the long wait and everything else that comes along with it from last year. It's it's got a big occasion and it should be a good game we're hoping for. Yeah, I'll say Derry got there last year. It was the first time in 25. So definitely it's not as if we're taking this as, oh, we'll be here every year from now on. You know, we played at Donegal side that was there for their 10th and 12 years. And that's when you get comfortable in that environment. Uh, now, the novelty, I think, maybe has wore off a tiny bit, albeit you'll see a lot of Derry fans saying they can't get tickets because the demand's still there. But I know some people that now were there last year, maybe they know come down the line there's going to be three or four games after it as well. And they're, they're sort of thinking like that. But I know that from this time last year, like, Derry have only done back-to-backs once in their whole history, from 75 and 76. So doing back-to-back for that squad of players would be a, would be a big thing. Like, you look at all the good Derry teams that in the 90s that were regular contenders for All-Irelands, granted they won one, they never done back-to-backs. So doing the back-to-back in Ulster for this Derry side would be a big thing. So I, I know definitely for the players, it won't be a case of, oh, we've been here before, we know the lay of the land. It's a case of, this game, we're taking their own merits, and they want to create their own bit of history that way. And Jared, you were involved in your own dairy side that was a fairly good team, and you didn't get across the line in Ulster, but you had some bottles with Armagh, and I know having spoke to you earlier, we were going to reflect on some of the games. There was 05 semi-final, John Toll's goal saved Armagh and put them through to Ulster final. 07, I know an Armagh, a lot of Armagh fans will remember that game in Clonus. Collie Devlin got a free at the end, and I think it was 10-9. Derry knocked Armagh out of the championship. That was in the qualifiers. And 2010 as well then, best known for Jamie Clark coming on the scene, getting a goal. They they were their glory days for Armagh. Big days for Derry as well, coming into them big games. What's your memories from all those games with Armagh? I would have probably very... I'd, I'd be, my recollection of Gaelic football would be quite good, you know. So I can remember the 05 game was a really sunny day. Uh, we commanded it with a high degree of optimism, you know. I can remember Mark Lynch didn't play much the year before because he was still coming out of school. He's playing number 11 that day and I suppose probably naivety as well. Like I remember thinking, right, Mark Lynch is up against Kieran McGinn at that time who'd have been 33, 34-ish. You're like, this Mark Lynch will take him no problem for speed and all that. And you sort of get your eyes open a wee bit, you know, with Armagh or seasoned around the block. I think most people would even tell you 05 was the year Armagh played their best football across that band from players from 01 to 07. 05 was the year they really opened up. Uh, so we got them in casement that day. The game was nip and tuck up until the last 10 minutes. John Toll got a goal. It was a, it was a high ball come in that spilled to him. John Toll had been known for scoring goals. They, they just got in his hands and pulled on it. Armagh was then fit to keep us uh, at sort of arm's length from then. I was marking Brian Mallon that day, and myself and Brian would have been quite friendly. That was that would have been June 05, and I would have played in the Sigerson campaign with him in February 05, right through to the final, you know. So I didn't, I didn't find it strange by any means marking him, but I found it difficult. Brian was sort of uh, the unsung, not the unsung hero, but people took him for granted in that Stevie and Ronald Clark were playing inside. 
And Brian was the number 15 who sort of roamed about, gave him a bit of space, but it's serious speed and power, you know. And uh, Brian gave me a bit of ball that day. Like he kicked not two. And I can remember thinking, you know, he just did that. But I was a year younger than him. He was a year, he was a year more developed, but our man themselves were sort of more developed than us at, at that point. So we can weigh that day. Maybe we were eyes up a wee bit, saying, look, we're not as close to him as we maybe thought we were. Three points is maybe quite comfortable there in the end up. And as you moved on, I say you moved on to 07, just as I mentioned, Keir McGinney there. Like, I remember that was his last game. Uh, Arma, Derry weren't expecting to beat Arma that day at any point. You know, we had been beating Ulster semi final by Monaghan. It sort of caught us in the hop and casement. There was a case of, right, we'll go down here, we'll give it a lash, see how it goes. And there's a famous Derry 500. Literally, Derry only sold 500 tickets that day. And it's well documented on the county board because we went in the run that year and got to the quarterfinal against Dublin. But uh, Derry only took 500 tickets that day to Clones. Um, but we're full value for the victory. Uh, it was a sort of turgid game that time. But I think that sort of, I know Armagh won Ulster in 08. But I think that day, that sort of generation of players was coming to an end. They get a wee bit of a kick from Peter McDonald in 08, which you might get off a new manager. But that day was. Kieran McGinley's last game it was Joe Kearney's last game and I think there was an anti uh, not that we put them to the sword by any means we just happened to beat them in that one game but I think there was a natural end to that life cycle of that Armagh side and then as you say moving on to 10 you said it was famous for Jamie Clark coming on the scene I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I was tapping that day for Derry and I missed a penalty with like three or four months to go and it was, I think it was chatting, it was the first penalty that was missed from the 11-yard spot. So the rule only came in in Congress around March or April. So it wasn't in effect for the league, came in the championship. And I had a 12 out of 12 record before that for club and county. Never missed one. And I'd actually scored a few in the Brandywell end of Celtic Park for the club and, and championship football. So I was reasonably confident. But I just had a penalty against Paul Hardy. I didn't strike it that well. And... Uh, he saved it and their man went on to one with three points. Funny story then, I was down at the league final there and I've met Paul numerous times since and there's a bit of banter about it. But my wee lad's 10 now, so he had no recollection of any of that. He knows that incident happened. But we were going to walk into the ground for the league final against Dublin and I met Paul and Stephen Kiernan and some other lad from Cross coming the other way. And... Uh, Hartley just shot. It was the other side of the street, and he just shot across. I hope there's no penalties today. And <laughs> he laughed, and I laughed, and my wee boys like, "Who's that? What he mean?" That's it, son. Never worry about it. Don't lie to them. boys talk nonsense. But then I got my wee lad dropped off to a seat, and I had a premium level ticket on the back up. Sure, I was not sitting in the same row as Paul and Stephen there, so I not laugh about it. But say 2010 was a low point for me personally in that that you know you're putting maybe a bit of pressure on yourself. You shouldn't be in captain and missing the penalty was a big thing, but look, it happens, and I suppose you get over it then. Just thinking back to that 05 game, Jared, you, you wore red and Armagh wore orange, didn't you? Was not was yeah. there not a color class there? Not that I can remember. I don't know why that whether any team refused to change, or I'm not sure what because my father would have been county chairman at the time as well, so I'd have been well versed and all the behind-the-scenes stuff is, you know, all that sort of thing. So I don't know what the idea behind that was because in 2010, the one I missed the penalty, we wore white 
and Armagh wore orange in 2011, which you didn't mention because we beat Armagh that day. <laughs> we wore white. That's white from the memory, Jared, that game. Yeah. So, uh, funny, I was before that game, I know that Derry beat Armagh well that day and we went on to the Ulster final. I didn't talk out because I sustained an injury in the club game. We had been in Dunboyne House in County Meath for a training weekend two weeks before it. And I, I don't know how, as, as players, we just turn up, rock up, go to the training weekend. Armagh was in the same hotel, the same weekend. Now, it turned out to be quite a big hotel. So we only really come across them in the foyer. But it just was strange that we were playing these guys in two weeks. Now, we didn't train on the venue. We'd done a gym session maybe and we went and played Wicklow down the country and came back up there. But we then went for dinner, and this was two weeks before the game, went for a few pints after dinner. John Brown was really said, look, lads, do no harm, go out to yell or off. But the few pints then, and then it leads to a few more and a few more. And there's, I wouldn't say it's an infamous incident, but we come back to the nightclub and there was, no, there was a wedding happening and all this sort of stuff. This went on to three, four in the morning. <laughs> we came down to the reception the next morning. And all their mad boys was there and their flip flops and their gym gear and stuff. And I'm sure that whether I don't know if it lulled them on their false sense of security, but there was an incident happened at the hotel that night as well. I'll not say who was involved or what <laughs> happened. I'll just say there was a nightclub, there was a wedding, there was a football team up. And word got round then that the Armagh boys had and they're handling a wedding down in Dunboyne. And we were happy to let the story go on that way. But the two of us played and told us two weeks later. I think they won that game by eight or nine points, probably, yeah. and they were full value for it. So, you know, just I'm not saying we were right and they were wrong, but it was just, it was just a funny, a funny scenario the, the way the two teams approached the training weekend in terms of what benefit in terms of bonding and training and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's a, it's a good story. Ten years later, you know, it's funny how it all works out. And I, I suppose Jared, you're, you're talking about them clashes between Armand and Derry. A couple of clashes in the space of five or six years. These two teams haven't met as often. Um, probably the championship clash in 2020 is the most recent game. Even the league's McKenna Cup, there hasn't been that many games between these sides. Um, that 2020 clash was Rory Gallagher's first as manager. Armagh won it. It was the year of COVID, of course. It was in Celtic Park behind closed doors. Armagh won by two points. But that, that unfamiliarity that both teams will have... It's it's maybe strange in Ulster because it feels like Armagh have played everybody else regularly apart from Derry. So these two teams, they maybe don't really know what they're going to face when they come up against each other. Yeah, well that that game in 20, it was October 2020 and Connor Glass had just come off a flight from Australia at the time. Gallagher took over the November previous or September previous, so he'd been in post a year. But he only had like four league games under his belt in March time when COVID stopped. And then everything stopped completely for six months. And they were just right. You have two weeks training, you're in the championship. So Geller always says, but that that break gave him a chance to speak to players a lot. The players all get home gyms done, all that sort of stuff. Even in that 12-month period, Derek came out physically a completely different side. Yeah. And uh, I know that the game was a draw, come up to a draw, come up to the closing stages. And Armagh kept a couple of very good points. But Barnett gave... I know Gallagher always says that year that they didn't have football, but he was still manager, give him a chance to really develop the area players, hammer home to them. You need to develop physically, and like all the day lads have. Uh, 
I, I know at the time it was disappointing for him, but I suppose he take any perspective. I think if you look now, he gave a fair few boys debuts that day that are now mainstays in the team. Connor Glass has only been back off a of play in three or four weeks, and I suppose he fired him in, and Glass was just finding his feet three years on now. Look at him. Uh, so Derry have definitely from from and COVID was a strange time for everybody playing football. Like, and I, I wouldn't say it despisingly, but you had Tipperary won a monster against the odds. You Cavan won an Ulster. It was a funny time just for football in general. Like, and I'm not saying Derry would a bit or my anyway. It probably weren't as further down the line, but I think three years on, Derry are a fair bit further down the line from maybe where they where they were at that time compared to Armagh. And uh, Derry, I, I can't remember who it was said, but I remember listening to, I think it was on Off the Ball, and somebody said that this Derry team smacks of Donegal 2012. They got their defensive system right. They went and won Ulster um, last year. But like Donegal in 2011, they didn't reach, they reached the Lyon semi-final and that was, they couldn't get past that. This year, there's a feeling that Derry have pushed on a wee bit. They're scoring from everywhere. Connor McCluskey's coming up and getting goals. Owen Lynch coming out of nets to score. You mentioned Roger, uh, sorry, Glass and Rogers in the middle of the field, formidable midfield. Derry have come on a right bit from last year as well, haven't they? Yeah, I think anytime you chat, are you, are you, I was going to say chat the any of them. If you chat the any of them, it's like any county panel, you don't hear anything in particular, but uh, all the soundings are that they knew how to work on their offensive plan a bit more. Uh, but People sort of forget they were five up against Galway last year, and Hadere went seven up. That sort of game was over, I would say. But uh, they, I would say that Derry's attack now has definitely evolved. If you look, people, some people class him as a defensive side. To be honest, that can be quite lazy. Uh, hit one twenty one against Mullen. Did they hit three fourteen against Fermanagh? Uh, I think Bar and Dublin, they were the highest scorers. No, I think they were maybe the, the highest scorer yeah. difference out of the 32 teams. Mm-hmm. And that they were fit to keep teams from scoring much. But they were scoring highly themselves. Look, at their, I was at the Fermanagh game. I was out of the country for the last game. Uh, the first point came from McAvoy, who was lined out at three. The second point came from McGrogan, who was lined out at six. The third point came from McGrogan, who was lined out at six. And into the bargain, Oren Lynch scored that day. Connor Glass scored in the first half. Uh, that's without Shane Wigan. He had his one six or one seven that day, but definitely look at the last game. Connor McCluskey, who wouldn't be known as a scorer, but I think he's been encouraged more. He has the pace to get up the field, but he needs to be just something at the end of it. He actually came up the field against Monaghan last year in our man semi final. Mr. 101 B. Began. I don't know if people really remember it, but I think he's surprised he found himself there. But I think it was definitely a tactic where they wanted to isolate him against McManus because they had him for pace. And if you get him one-on-one, he's hard to stop. He's like a rocket coming up the field. So if he adds on a score to the end of it, all well and good. So they are scoring from all different angles this year. And But they, they definitely commit so many men to the attack. So um, you know, my thinking the theory is if a team is playing 10 men behind the ball, and you only attack with six men, you're, you're six forwards plus one midfielder, that means you're leaving three of their men free to either double up, cover space. So if a team plays 10 men behind the ball, but you attack with 10 or, 10 or 11 men, that means every one of their defenders has to occupy every one of your attackers. And that's saying you can create one-on-one scenarios 
create spaces in the pocket. It means that teams can't defend solely because, God damn, you have 12 men attacking. We have to pick up everybody. And I think that's the idea behind it. And certainly a novel way of looking at it, you know, but if you break it down, it looks quite simple. Rather than giving men three men to cover space, if you push up three more men, it means that they have to start marking men too. And it means that you can get your marquee forward still one-on-one because he, he can't be doubled up on because everyone else has been marked. I think that's probably the big thing about the goalkeeper coming out in Armagh. Done it to great effect last year. Obviously, I'd mentioned Lynch coming out. He scored again for Mona from play. Scored again Monaghan from play. That, that extra man, just that the goalkeeper provides, you can't... It's very hard to mark the goalkeeper coming forward. And Ethan has obviously gotten the score sheet for Armagh, but he's more of a, a link man. He, he's the man that's driving yeah. the ball in till say, Andrew Murn or whoever, picking that pass. So the goalkeepers, we could maybe see them picking up each other on different occasions or coming up the field at different times. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic that both goalkeepers are, are going to come out the field. Yeah, the goalkeeping battle will be really interesting at the weekend. Like, and uh, Derry have got very brave with Lynch and it's all come from Gallagher too. You can hear it in the sideline every time there's an opposition kick-out. He picks a certain spot. So against Fermanagh, he picked the 45 in front of the tunnel at the... Uh, stand side and he stood in that pocket and he was up right up along the half forward lane it wasn't standing in the midfield he was beyond the midfield and he picked that pocket and it meant Armagh were having to go or Fermanagh had to go to the other side and it was sort of forcing them then to kick on top of Connor Glass and forcing them to kick on top of Brendan Rodgers now Rodgers isn't a massive fielder in the way Glass is but he can get up and break a ball and put it 20 yards back down top of you so and Rafael will do the same on the other side you know, against was it against Mayo in the last league game or Matt yeah. Rafferty caught the last kick out and set up the last score where the game was a draw. Again, Armagh's been very brave in their kickouts and uh they use it to good effect. But if you look at Derry last year, Derry got caught against Galway with a late goal where uh Lynch was up the field. Connor Glass got turned over and people were blaming Lynch for it. Glass probably shouldn't have got turned over when he did. So, you know, you take that gamble, and that's what sort of happens. But Kieran McGee himself would say he's probably an innovator in that regard because I'd be good mates with Paul Courtney from Ballyhagan through university. And I can remember the shock watching our man, him playing Nets one day. And it was just like, where did he pull this one out of? But that was his thinking six, seven years ago, and you can see how, how it has evolved. And I think somebody's going to be really interested with both goalkeepers. As you say, Rafferty's a great left foot on him. And it can ping passes under the forward line. It can set set up scores, probably more so than Lynchy, but uh, Lynchy does create ball when he's out the field for teams. And the Derry defence, Jared, we'll get on to the matchups in a minute, but just on their, their full back line and their concession of goals, uh, I think it's eight in the last three, four goals against Dublin, two against Fermanagh and two against Monaghan. That's obviously a concern, I, w- I would believe, um, heading into the game for Derry while Armagh coming off the back of scoring four of their own so I'd imagine Armagh are going to target that 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 they're going to if they're getting goal chances they have to take them because goals are going to be crucial on Sunday yeah they probably will I suppose we really break it down into nitty gritty but Derek can see that four against Dublin could have been eight or nine now it'll be fair but there's no Christian McKay or Roe McAvoy that day so Conor McCluskey had to go and play full back against Conor Callaghan it's not a role they were suited to and really, O'Callaghan had too much power for him. So, if Chris McKay can run there, 
I'm not saying he'll keep McCallum completely scoreless because it's nearly it's not as impossible to do because he's that good. But Christie would have sold him up as best as he probably can. McAvoy in there would have been a difference too. The Fermanagh game, both of Fermanagh's goals was actually shots that a block get on, a tip and a spun. So Derry probably weren't set for the ball coming in the high ball the way it did. Now, Armagh will pump long ball in more so than Fermanagh didn't put the long ball in. Both of them were shots, a half block, spun, but a ping pong. But I think Armagh will try to fire the high ball in. But And that day against Dublin, it was Duck Glass that went off. And he plays a great role there too. He went off against Fermanagh yeah. that day and the same thing happened. So, uh, and given our mass physicality and around the forward line and what happened in the semi-final against Down and they get joy from it, I can see our using that tactic. And look, I would be involved in a bit of coaching myself. I'm actually a real lover of that tactic in terms of if you kick 10 and Law of Ravages tells you your forwards are one three of them out of 10, and someone will come off a goal or a score will come off one or three or two or three at least because haven't played fullback long enough. It causes panic uh, and all only takes the fullback and the keeper to miss one and it sows a seed of doubt and all that sort of stuff. And given the physicality the RMI have in the forward line with Mernon and Turbot, depends on Neil plays or not, uh, definitely a tactic I'd be using, regardless whether they are seen to be prone to conceding goals or not. So you mentioned in that, that Fermanagh game, Jared, that it wasn't really a long ball tactic. It was a shot that was dropping short. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's actually how Armagh got two goals against down. They, they did use the long ball or the trade early on. I would say their first couple of attacks, they were testing out the down full back line. Didn't work. like it torn over a couple of times. And then Shima Parton had a shot and it dropped short. Andrew Mernon punched it to the net. And the same in the second half. Rain O'Neill had a shot and Kieran Mackin punched it to the net. That, that's that's nearly a more dangerous ball than the actual long ball in, isn't it? Yeah, I say it is because defences aren't set for it. You can see when a boy's wind up, you kick a long ball in, you sort of, but if, if you think somebody's going to hit a shot rightly or wrong, you might switch off. It's like the ball that you think is going to the bar and hits the post. More often than not, you see defenders switching off. And a lot of time it lands their forward who then has a shot at goal or puts back over the bar, etc. that sort of thing. So then balls were it goes in and it wasn't the original tactic, are definitely dangerous. But I think Derry then will be switched on to that, given it's happened in before and what our, the joy our mile got from it. There's no excuse for Derry to say, well, we were caught cold there because it was a shot and it dropped short. John Brennan, as Derry manager, he used to have a saying, if you make a mistake once, I understand. If you make a mistake twice, I'm not happy. If you make a mistake a third time, you're sitting beside me. And you know, so you have to learn. But his idea was you have to learn from it somewhere. So Derry have had the warning shots, both from what they have done and both from what happened to our mass. So I think if anything is even been lined up as a shot, the full back line will still be on their toes. I think that, that sort of leads us into our matchups, Jordan, who we see we might see marking each other. Andrew Mernon went off injured against Down. There's no real update coming out of our camp, but fingers crossed from our perspective, he'll be lining out. And um, he's obviously the main threat in terms of that long ball tactic that Armagh have. But up front, it's probably him, Connor Turbot, Roy Grugan and Rain O'Neill are the four main players and the four players that Derry probably are going to have to mark. Um, obviously, Chrissy McCaig, he's the main man. He's the, the go-to man marker. Will he go on Rain O'Neill, do you think? Does he blot him out or will he stay in on Connor Turbot because he plays closer to goal? 
will he go to Andrew Mernon to take away that long ball tactic? Who does Chrissy McKeague pick up, do you think? I would imagine that Derry, I think Derry made a mistake last year against Galway in that they didn't put McKeague on uh, Comer. And that's not to say that oh, it's no Slayton Rogers, but McKeague had, uh, was it Tierney, completely wrapped up in the corner. But Finnerty, was it? Finnerty, sorry, Finnerty. And I'm not sure whether Derry then expect that Comer to drift in and out. And once he didn't, McKeague usually takes a lad that stays close to goal all the time. So I would imagine if it's Mernon or Turbot staying close to goal, you'll have McKeague and McAvoy picking up them too. So uh, I would, who, which one picks up which one, I'm not sure, but maybe they might put McKeague on Mernon because the long ball and he is physically strong. And, you know, Mernon's quite unorthodox, but he's yeah. awkward to mark and he's, he's very dangerous. But I would say him and McAvoy will pick up Turbot and, uh, Turbot and, uh, Mernon, then you'll have O'Neill, I think, will, because he drifts in and out, and whether that's of his own accord or he spends 10 and 10 out, I would say that McGrogan will pick him up. First and foremost, you have to be physically be able to match it with someone that's six foot two or three, 15 stone. Uh, I think Connor McCluskey would be better suited to picking up Grogan anyway, yeah. because the more similar statue stature, I think. Uh, Conor McCluskey would have him for pace. McGrogan, or uh, Rory Grogan's a great eye for a pass, a good left foot he picks up. He always plays with a head up and knocks the ball inside. But I think he could be exposed the other way from uh, McCluskey doing what he'd done to Conor McManus, getting on the ball, going at him. Because, now, uh, Grogan is probably as honest a player as you'll get all day long, and he will work back, he'll chase McCluskey, but physically McCluskey's just faster, and there's no you know, there's no getting away from it. He's faster than most players he marks. So I think they will match them two up and that would leave McGrogan to mark O'Neill. The fact that McGrogan plays fullback sometimes, plays halfback sometimes, it would suit that and he drifts in and out. McGrogan now has developed, over, especially the last 18 months, has developed into one of Derry's go-to men. Like, and he has maybe been Derry's most consistent player over the last 18 months. Like, And you talk about taking a dog to war, that little expression, He's definitely one of them boys, but he kicked two points again, Monaghan. He kicked two again from Anna's. He can do both ends of the stick. He can play football. And I would say he'd be the boy that they might put no need. And the, mid- the midfield battle is going to be crucial, Jaren. It's going to be massive and really interesting. Um, I suppose against Down, Armagh, um, Down conceded the kickouts. Armagh were happy enough to go short if they were getting that option. While the press, the Down kickouts, now the kickout press wasn't great, especially in the first half. Now, Cian got a, a few shorts away, but Armagh physically felt that they, they could overpower down in the middle of the field with Freely, Mackin, Jarlio Burns, Shane McParland, Ray O'Neill all around that early area. They're not going to have that same advantage against Derry with Connor Glass and Brandon Rogers. I guess him, I would think that Jarlio Burns is possibly going to pick up Connor Glass, and I know that was the matchup in 2020. Brandon Rogers, possibly with Shane McParland, if he starts, where does that leave Ben Creeley? I'm not sure. Even off injured against Down, not sure if he's fit. So midfield is going to be massive, isn't it? Yeah, well, Armagh probably have more options under in that sector, but maybe if they're detriment, they're not maybe a settle. Like I couldn't tell you who Armagh's middle eight is, and I say you'll have ball until you see it who the middle eight's going to be because you look at uh, Ben Creelian, he kind of knocked off the last day as well. Yeah. He might be fit anyway. The other Mackin brother is it 
there's Connor and Conair. Kieran was Keir, half back. Keir, you know, so uh, and then you look at Jarlow Burns plays seven. Where's my where seven plays midfield sometimes, or vice versa. Super Campbell, who was very good around the middle eight when everybody was playing there, he, he didn't start the last day and a chance for him to get uh, if Creeley's not playing. So I think Armagh probably have more options, but I think Derry's more settled. And I don't see Gallagher D. Like Derry's team last year, the two changes have been Podrick Casty and uh, Owen McAvoy for Shea Downey and Benny Heron. And Gallagher stuck with that, maybe a bit of positional change, but he's stuck with the same 15 all the time now. And I think Derry's quite settled in that area. I think, and Derry will definitely press Armaz kick out. You know, Derry aren't going to press kick outs all year against everybody to suddenly flip it, or flip it for an Ulster final. I think Derry's quite confident that if they press teams kick outs, they can get joy of it. And I seen the Cav and Armagh game and in the second half, Armagh was very passive in the first half, or sorry, Cavan were. Cavan let Armagh get into the rhythm. Second half, Armagh was under a bit of pressure that Cavan pressed them and pressed them. Now, I know it was a, a wet night, it's harder to get out, but Armagh were under pressure at the time, and Greg McCabe scored a breakaway point where the kickout went that long, somebody flicked it on. If you remember, Greg was wearing six, yeah. he, he sort of gambled and got in the end of it. I don't think Derry will get caught like that, but Cavan were able to get joy by pressing their Armagh kick out and hemming them in. So I think Derry will definitely go with that. And uh, unless Armagh has some other tactic to load the middle field with, load the middle third with six, seven, eight men, six foot one, six foot two, I think Derry will make it joy in that sector. And up into the forward line then, um, Jared, it's not a one man band up there, anything from it, but Shane McGuigan is the star attraction. I think he scored 2-14 across the Fermanagh and Monaghan games. So it used to be Aidan Falker, no matter who it was, a, a Michael Murphy, a Darren McCurry, it was always Aidan Falker was the man to pick him up. During the league, it was Barry McCambridge. He picked up David uh, Clifford. Um, he picked up Shane Walsh, Dara Canavan. He was picking up all the main men. Then he got injured in the warm-up against Calvin and hasn't played. So I'm not sure if he's available. I would imagine it would be him and Shane McGuigan. If not, possibly Aidan Falker. But um, apart apart from McGuigan, I suppose who who should Armagh be looking out for up there? And as we we discussed, Derry can score from everywhere. So there's there's a lot of players that Armagh have to watch. Yeah, well, I I stopped for a bit deep on the way home from the Fermanagh game, and I was chatting to a couple of guys from Derry, and they were sort of a bit, you know, Derry need to get Shane McGuigan more help, and if they get more scores, and I said, look, I only happen to see it or hear it in the radio, and that or after the game. They had 11 different scores versus, her, versus Fermanagh, the 10 against Monaghan. So whether she and scores 1-5 or 1-6 or not, they're still chipping in nine different scores, which is at least nine more points. Some of them guys are getting goals. So like likes of Paul Casty, again this year, he's been exceptional. He, he had a good league final when Day didn't play well. Very good against Fermanagh, very good against Monaghan. Uh, he kicked two early points the last day out. Uh and that's a score from the half-forward line, which you don't usually get in Gaelic as much nowadays. Uh, but their whole forward eight or four, like Chrissy McKay is nearly the only player that doesn't attack. They just keep Chrissy back, keep him close to goal. But I know she ends up there and she ends your star attraction, but a few of the bodies in around him to either uh, drag all the men away or get the scores, they will bar scoring. And I think Paul Cast has been definitely the one player that has sort of helped him this year. 
Lachlan Murray, he came on in the All Ireland semi final last year, got a couple of points, but he hasn't really got much game time this year. He could be a surprise inclusion somewhere along the line. He came on against Dublin that night and Sally Parkin played well, same as Ben McCarn. Uh, ben started that day against Dublin unexpectedly and maybe didn't have his best game in the league final, but he's been getting game time of late. So they probably of the options Armagh do in terms of the depth. Armagh have like 23, 24 players. Derry seem to use the same 19, 20 all the time. But I think up top now that whether Sheehan scores one point or one six, I think Derry can still score 15, 16 points, which is key for them. Yeah, that's that's probably the big thing coming out of it, that you have to stop Sheehan McGuigan, but it's not a case of if you stop him, you beat Derry because the, they can literally score from anywhere yeah. and they have so many different players that's going to get in on the score sheet. Um, it's it's a big test for for Armagh. It's certainly going to be a step up from what they faced playing three division three teams. Derry obviously going for two in a row. Jared Armagh, hopefully, um, I hear Ashley McConville on the GA socially. He reckons Armagh need this and wanted more, so that's going to get them over the line. How do you how do you think it's going? How do you see you coming out on top here? Obviously, if we were asking me my heart, I would say Derry. But whenever you drill down into it, I just think. Even though Armagh played Division 1 football and Derry Division 2, I would probably say Derry, over like if if Derry had, if Armagh had have come through, I know they played three Division 3 sides and Derry played Fermanagh, but bearing in mind Monaghan beat Tyrone and with Derry done to Monaghan, if Armagh had beat Monaghan the same way Derry done it, Armagh, people were saying Armagh has to be favourites here, look what they've done to Monaghan. So from that alone, from what I've seen, in the last two weeks, I would say Derry are in better form. But then, you know, uh, Armagh can come in and if Armagh were to one be two or three points, I wouldn't be overly surprised. But I just think Derry is in a better place at the moment. It's it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a great occasion. There's a lot of fans disappointed at the minute, I know, um, by not getting tickets. But it's going to be a full house. It's going to be a massive day out for both counties, both well supported. And Jared, I'm really looking forward to it and I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to discuss the game. We're all looking forward to it. And as usual, we'll be covering it with previews, podcasts, uh, match reports and interviews. So make sure to check out Sideline Eye on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Like us on Spotify if that's where you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. Jared, thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem.